The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Leaving home. Oh Lord, as I speak the word you've put on my heart, will you give us the courage to leave home? And will you call us on pilgrimage until finally we're at that new Jerusalem where we're safe on the other side, no matter what it costs? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Why is it so hard to leave home? Why is it so hard to leave home? I remember I was 13 years old. My mother and my father had sacrificed. They wanted me to leave the farm and leave an area where there was no Christian education. And they sent me to a boarding school, a Christian boarding school. The tuition was $100 a month. Board and room, everything. I didn't want to leave home. But I knew if I was going to be given a Christian education, I had to leave home. I couldn't stay home and get what I needed to go where God was calling me to go. So all that summer before I went, I worked and I earned every dime I could earn. Finally, I got to the high school I said, my mom and dad can't afford to pay all this money. I need a job. And I was shy. I couldn't talk to girls. And they put me in the kitchen washing pots and pans, 25 cents an hour, with all these girls around me. (laughs) I think it must have been six months in before I said my first word. And everyone was shocked. They thought I was mute. It was so hard leaving home. I want to read a part for you. The third chapter describes the utter sinfulness of man. The third chapter of Romans utterly destroys any hope we have of walking in our own power in Jesus Christ. It totally decimates humanism. That's the great issue of our culture today. It's the great issue of the Christian church today. Humanism has become the theology of preference among God's people. You know, we're all good people. We're all trying to do our best. And after all, what can God expect except that we try to do our best? Well, very frankly, he expects that we'll die because our very best is not good enough. Only the blood of Jesus is the atoning sacrifice that can cover our sin and our brokenness. And Paul just nails that in the third chapter. 
And then at the very end of the third chapter, verse 31, he says, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. In other words, are we walking in a way that says, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, but I'm a horrible sinner? No. No. The grace of Jesus Christ establishes in our hearts righteousness. It's not the shell game of the modern church that says you're covered by the blood, you're saved, but the power of Jesus is not adequate to break your bondages of sin. You can't ever be set free. You're just going to have to endure the temper. You're going to have to endure the pornography. You're going to have to endure. One pastor recently stood in front of his congregation and actually had the courage to list things that were appropriate for Christians for recreation. And among them, he listed pornography. This is what is flooding into the body of Christ today. My wife and I sat in a mega church in Newport News, listening to the pastor, telling jokes that Johnny Carson would have been embarrassed to tell. We were utterly shocked at the utter ungodliness of the age. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? In other words, does our faith in Jesus Christ justify continued walking in sin? Absolutely not. Rather, we uphold the law. Now begin with me in the fourth chapter. What then shall we say? that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now then, a man's work, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him, as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Well, when we're reading this weighty letter, this epistle, it's easy to read through this and say, oh, Abraham, he did it right. Well, let's go back and look at Abraham. What I want you to see tonight is that Abraham had to take a journey. He didn't just arrive overnight where all of this wonderful belief in God was credited to him as righteousness. No, God had to take him to the woodshed. God had to deal with his heart. And you're not going to leave home and walk away from the world of sin in one fell swoop. I wish we could. I wish we would. And in revival, we do. But most of us have experienced this deadly agony of our soul, where every day is a battle, struggling with darkness. We don't want to be deceived, and yet we're caught. It's as though Romans 7 is ruling over us. But Romans 7 is not to be the normative life of the Christian. Romans 8 is the normative life of the Christian. 
And so obviously there's a process we have to walk through. We don't just do it in one step, but God in his great mercy picks us up and he carries us. Now I want to confess tonight the greatest joy of my heart is the mercy of my Lord. The grace of my Lord Jesus. He is so utterly long-suffering. He is so utterly patient. How many times have I fallen? And he said, come on, Ray, get up. Let me pick you up. And he's bent over and he's picked me up. He's washed me. He's put my feet back on the road. He did that to Abraham. Now, I just want to give you a brief warning. Don't push him too far. Because there is an end to his long-suffering And there is an end to his patience. There is a place where he finally says, it's over. Let me share with you the story of Abraham. He was married. His wife was barren. God came to this man and he spoke to him and he called him out of his land. Listen to the promise. The 12th chapter, God said to him, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God called him. Called him to leave his family. Well, he wanted to obey the call of God, but he didn't want to leave his family. And so we find in the 11th chapter that Abraham begins the pilgrimage toward the land of the Canaanites, but he takes with him his daddy. He takes with him his nephew. He takes his family with him. He can't leave home. So he's caught in this place where so many of you are familiar. I want to follow God. I want to do what God's asked me to do. But I also want to keep a firm grip on those things that I'm familiar with. Yes, Jesus. God. I want my Dunkin' Donuts and I want Jesus too. I want my comforts of life, but I want Jesus I talked with a police officer this last week. I said, what can you tell me about the nature of mankind? He had a smile on his face. He said, I can tell you one thing. We're a wicked bunch of people. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, almost everybody I run into wants to appear righteous. But then in the shadow land, they want to create their own playground of wickedness. That's what he said to me. I said, what do you do with that? He said, I arrest him. And they all protest their innocence. Because suddenly when I arrest them, they want to be the innocent people 
who are living their wonderful good life. But I just caught him over here going after a prostitute or going after drugs or going after something. And I arrested them, but now they're protesting their innocence. And they get an attorney and they go in front of the judge. And most times the judge lets them off. Because they look like they're such nice people. I said, you've got it. But when the judge sits at the end, he's not going to let anybody off. We're either covered by the blood, we've either left home, or we're left out. And there's no in-between ground to stand on. You see tonight, what I want you to see in graphic image is that when God calls you out, you have to follow him wherever he calls you to whatever he speaks into your heart. And Abraham loaded up all of the crew and he heads toward the Cana land, but daddy is too sickly to go all the way. He doesn't want to go to, the, to this land of the Canaanites. He wants to go to the great city of Haran. And so he convinces Abram to stop the journey and to camp and to move into a new home in Haran. And they use their finances and they start their business and they begin to put their roots down. But that's not where God called him. And God doesn't speak to him. Now, it's very informative to go through the life of Abraham and say, when did God speak to Abraham and when did God not speak to Abraham? And when you begin to see what was prompting the Lord God to withhold his voice or to speak into Abram's life, you begin to know the ways of Almighty God. And it begins to answer the question, is God speaking into your life or is he not speaking? And you need to understand what prompts the Lord God of heaven to speak to you and what prompts the Lord God of heaven to withhold speaking to you. It's very, very difficult to hear God speak when God's not speaking. And no amount of prayer, no amount of reading the scriptures, no amount of crying to God will convince him to speak into your life. If you have disobeyed him and you are avoiding the issue that you have disobeyed over, God can wait a lot longer than you can wait. And many times what happens is God doesn't speak. And so we say, then I have to go do it myself. If God's not going to talk to me, then I'm going to go by the principles of Scripture. And off I go to build my church or to get that job or to get that house or to buy that car, to do whatever I'm going to do. God's not talking to me, so obviously I'm going to, is the door open or closed? I live by circumstances. Boy, is that devil good at arranging those rabbits from hell across our path to hook us in. And we say, okay, God's not talking. I'll go that way. Watch what happened with Abraham. 
They're situated in Haran. And daddy dies. Notice chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram. The Lord had said. Past tense. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. So in other words, there was still in Abram's heart a crying out, a desire to do what God had called him to do. But he was not able to fellowship with the Lord God of heaven. You don't find him building an altar to the Lord and crying out to the Lord. You don't see fire coming down from heaven. You see no answers to prayer. Because all he's living with is a past memory of God ordering him to do something and his continued walking in disobedience to that. And finally, Abram says, I think I better do what God told me to do. I think I better get on the road. Because Sarai still is barren. Now you realize that if Sarai had had children... In Haran, they would have never gone to the land of Canaan. They would have said, the Lord is blessing us. The Lord is blessing us. We're receiving children. Let's settle down. God's with us. God couldn't let them have children there. Some of you are saying, why hasn't God allowed this financial deal to work out? Why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't God done that? Well, he can't because if he does, you'll settle down and continue to live in disobedience. And the Lord's not going to, in his mercy and in his grace, he's not going to approve of you walking in disobedience so that you are walking under the illusion that God is pleased with you and is blessing you when he's not. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. What has the Lord told you to do that you haven't done yet? You might want to sit down with a piece of paper and pencil and jot down some notes. Because those things that God has told you to do that you have not done will stand in the face of God. And he probably will not speak again until you do what you've been told to do. Some of you have been told to take the time to read the scriptures and pray every day. So you do your little 10 minute deal and off you run and think God's with you. Jesus said, could you not even wait with me an hour? Could you not even wait an hour and pray an hour? Prayer doesn't start until after one hour. So if your devotion time is less than an hour, Jesus would say to you the same thing he said to the disciples. Couldn't you even stay awake and pray an hour? Now, here's the sad part. Verse 4, Lot went with him. So in other words, he's still dragging his family along with him. God said, get rid of this family. Go by yourself to the land of Canaan, and I will give it to you. And he's dragging his family along. Got to have this nephew with me. Oh, his daddy died. You know, I just got to take care of him. Oh, Jesus! I've got an obligation. Now, God said, leave your family and go. Is God against family? No, God is against distractions to his will. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now, you know he's walking into the land of Canaan in disobedience. So you know right now things are going to be tough when he gets to the land of Canaan. And he's going to look around and say, why is God treating me this way? Because he's gone in disobedience. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now the Lord appears to Abram and he says, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In other words, now he has taken a concrete step of obedience. And in return for that concrete step of obedience, God appears to him. Now, I want to tell you tonight, as you take concrete steps of obedience to God, he will begin to meet you. Your Bible study will suddenly come alive. Your prayer life will suddenly be filled with the power of the Spirit. You'll see a difference all the way around, even though you're not walking in total obedience to God. Abram was still walking in disobedience. He still had not left his family behind. But God was honoring him because he was headed in the right direction. Now that's mercy. That's mercy. Now I want to say something that may sound strange to you. Religionists always become legalists. If I miss one point, I might as well give up everything because I'm a failure. That's a spirit of religion. Amen. What did King Saul do? He's disobeyed God. He's not listened to the prophet. And now he says, anybody who touches any food in this battle is going to be put to death, even if it's my son. He's a great religionist. Now, please hear me. As we walk after Jesus Christ, there is not a set checklist of do's and don'ts. And if we miss one of them, we might as well go eat worms and give up. That's pride. That's pride. David understood the deal. The 23rd Psalm. He said, I'm going to put my feet under the table of the Lord. So when we make a mistake, we fall off the wagon, we get out of line, where do we go? Do we go to the closet and beat on ourselves so that God will accept us back after we've beaten ourselves up long enough? No, we simply go back to the table of the Lord, and He promises in that place to prepare a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. So please, as we share this tonight, be clear. There is a dramatic difference between a spirit of religion which goes point by point in a legalistic fashion and the spirit of Christ that calls for obedience to the Lord Jesus. One is of the spirit and the other is of the law. And we are of the spirit. We are not of the law. Now, part of the struggle today in the modern church is as soon as you begin to speak about holiness, red flags go up and they say, legalism, legalism, legalism. That's because there's a misunderstanding about the role of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and a misunderstanding of the grace of Jesus. 
He calls us to walk by faith under his authority. But when we make a mistake and we get it wrong, he doesn't kill us. He may take us to the woodshed. We may wish we were dead, but he brings us through. Now watch. The Lord has spoken to him. And from there, in verse 8, he went on toward the hill east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And there was no answer. Oh, this has been so painful for me. The silence of God just cuts my heart apart. Here he is. He's walking now in partial disobedience. He still has a lot with him. He's prayed and God has come and spoken with him. Now he moves on to the next place and he says, I really want the presence of God with me. And so I'm going to build another altar and maybe God will speak to me again. And God doesn't speak. Now watch why. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. God has not spoken because he wants to see what is in Abram's heart. He wants to know what will Abram do when he faces the famine because of his disobedience and being unwilling to leave his family. Now let's define family very carefully. For the sake of this passage of Scripture that we're teaching, family are all of those things that comfort us, that give us sustenance, that have nourished us out of the world. Now, that may be actual family members, or it may be restaurants that are our favorite places. (laughs) Or it may be recreation that is our favorite recreation. It may be the golf game. It may be the, the racing. It may be, I don't know what it is. It could even be the fishing. Not necessarily. A lot of religion in fishing. <laughs> A lot of Christian religion in fishing. But those things that have nurtured us and have, have filled the God hole with worldly things. And God has called us away from that. And instead of leaving it behind, we've tried to take it with us. We've gotten our U-Haul truck and we've said, you're coming with me. I need you. Okay. God doesn't talk. And there's a famine in the land. God wants to know what's he going to do. And so we find, what does Abram do? He goes to Egypt. Now, why would Abram go to Egypt? Because Egypt was his family. Egypt was like Haran. It was like Ur of the Chaldees. There were three great centers of civilization in that day. Babylon, Ur of the Chaldees, and Egypt. So he's just going home. If it's too tough where God's called me, just go to the city. Take care of what you need to do. Take care of business. You can make money there. And if you make enough money, you can do anything you want. So let's let's go to Egypt. We can make money there. We can 
We can survive there. We can feed ourselves there. We can cover all of our responsibilities. So off to Egypt they go. And of course, he doesn't want to leave his family. He doesn't want to leave his family until his family becomes a threat to his survival. And now he's ready to throw his wife right over his shoulder. And she goes to Pharaoh's palace to live there as Pharaoh's wife. And he's getting paid off. I'd call him a scoundrel. What he's doing is totally unacceptable. God will not honor it. God does not speak to him. Instead, God speaks judgment on Pharaoh's household, and he gets fired. Has that ever happened to you? Did you ever get fired? Because God said, you're not going to be there. I'm not going to let you be there. I'm going to move you on toward what I have for you, even if it means I've got to get you fired. I'm going to make life so tough for you. You're going to think that that famine was a picnic. I'm going to bring public shame on your name. You're going to be run out of that place. And so Abraham, Abram is run out of Egypt. Now, do you see God's mercy? As Abram is leaving Egypt, he is not saying to himself, boy, I'm glad I'm leaving Egypt. He's not saying, I'm sorry, I've got to go back into that horrible famine. I mean, he's not eager to go back to the famine. He wants to stay where it's fat and happy. But God says, you're out of here. Now, I tell you, I've learned over the years to be happy when God says, you're out of here. I've learned to not resist when God says you're finished here, but to move on eagerly. They would never have crossed the Red Sea if God had not thrown them out of Egypt. So he's kicked out of Egypt. He's publicly shamed. And as he's leaving Egypt, Lot went with him. I mean, he can't get rid of this guy. This guy's a righteous man, by the way. But he loves the city life. And the judgments of God are going to come down on him with such force. He's going to lose his wife. And his daughters are going to commit incest. And he will disappear from the story and never be heard from again. So he goes back to Cana land. He goes from place to place. Chapter 13, verse 3, he goes to Bethel. And there Abram calls again on the name of the Lord. And there is no answer. We've had this misunderstanding that when Bible characters call on the name of the Lord, the Lord's right there. Not so. Abraham has been shamed. He's been kicked out of Egypt. He goes back where God wanted him to go. He builds an altar and God doesn't talk to him. Have you had that happen to you? You've gotten fired. Everything is in terrible condition. You don't know what to do. You cry out to God and God doesn't answer you. The skies are like iron and the ground is like brass beneath your feet. God is silent. 
when those times occur, you know it's either for one of two reasons. Either God is wanting to expose something in your heart, and so he's purposely being quiet to let you demonstrate what you're really like. Or there is something God ordered you to do, and you have been utterly resisting doing it, and you're walking in disobedience. Always, 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 in my experience, the silence of God comes about because of one of those two reasons. Again, God's silence is because he's trying to draw your heart after himself, and he's trying to expose something in your heart so that you will see your condition before God, or you're walking in disobedience. Those are the only two reasons I've ever found for why God does not speak quickly to his children. Verse 5, Lot was moving about with Abram, and they had these huge flocks of cattle, and the herdsmen began to fight. In other words, finally God had to bring an eruption of bitterness within this family to separate Lot from Abram. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling. Chapter 13, verse 8 is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Why didn't he do this years before? Finally, he's leaving over grazing rights. Do you understand? He could have separated based on the word of the living God. He would have avoided the famine. He would have avoided the embarrassment of what happened in Egypt. And he would have avoided a little slave girl by the name of Hagar. You see, when we walk in disobedience before the Lord, we begin to accumulate things that later down the road will be a snare and a temptation to us. Now Lot looks up in verse 10, and he sees the whole plain of the Jordan, watered like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. In other words, he chooses the very best for himself. This righteous man chooses the very best financial situation for himself and leaves Abram out in the dry land. So much for family. But look at verse 14. The Lord said, To Abram, there is not anything that can stand in the face of the word of the Lord when it comes clearly to a man or woman's heart. There is nothing that brings joy to the soul like the straight, honest word of the living God. I would rather hear God speak than have a million dollars. There is not anything I would want before I would want to hear the clear voice of the living God speak to my heart and give me direction regarding what he would have me do. There is no treasure more highly sought after than a clear word from the living God of heaven. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Some of you are going to have to part with some things before the Lord's going to speak to you. It's called radical amputation. 
What did the Lord say? He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Some of you want to hear from God, but you won't let go of that sin that that hand keeps gripping. Oh God, oh God, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you, but I'm holding on to my sin. I'm holding on to my disobedience. Oh God, I want to hear from you. Oh God, why won't you talk to me? Because you're holding on to your sin. God is not being unmerciful. It's simply his way. If he honors you in the midst of your sin, you will think then that he approves of your sin. You will think he is permissive. If you can sit down and watch the television and then get up from the television and go in and spend the next hour reading the word and having it come alive in the spirit, you'll say, it's okay for me to sit down and watch the television because when I do, I can really read the scriptures. (laughs) No. One dear sister said to me yesterday, why are you so against television, pastor? I said, I'm not against television. What gave you that idea? Well, you say we shouldn't watch it. You say, turn it off, get it out of the house. Well, yes, I have said that. Well, why do you say that? Because I discovered I couldn't read scripture and be in fellowship with Jesus Christ and fill my heart and my mind with the things of the world. And I choose Jesus. I can't choose both. I have to choose one or the other because I can't have both. Oh, but, but pastor, what are the children going to do if they don't have their video games? And what are the children going to do if they can't watch their Disney movies? My kids will be bored. Well, what did kids do before there were video games? What did kids do before there were Disney movies? Help mama with the dishes? Help dad with the grass? Read stories about Jesus? Learn about nature? Read about history? Learn about how to be good citizens? I mean, aren't there a whole bunch of things? The kids could have a lot of fun doing. But you see, somehow today we have made our kids our idols. And our highest goal is to keep our children happy. But in the kingdom of God, kids are never designed to be kept happy. They're designed to be kept holy. Not happy. Holy kids will be happy kids. But happy kids will not necessarily be holy kids. And so are mom and dad in charge or the kids in charge? I mean, I was in a little sandwich shop with my wife for supper tonight. We were grabbing a sandwich quick before we came here. A daddy came in and he sat down. His son came in. He was all of four years old, stood over against the wall. He said, come on, sit down. We're going to eat. He said, I'm not going to come. (laughs) Why? Because I wanted a booth. And here this dad is held hostage 
And all the waitresses are coming by and trying to talk to this little boy and convince him to go sit down with his daddy. I want chocolate milk. Ma'am, do you have chocolate milk? No, I'm sorry, we're out. No, we don't have chocolate. I'm not eating. This little boy held the whole restaurant hostage. Now, I had to leave before I could watch this whole story unfold. But I can assure you that little boy was fully in charge. And before long, they were going to clear a booth for that little boy to sit in. And Napoleon was going to have his way. And Daddy was going to be utterly embarrassed and know that he better not ever cross this little one again. Isn't that amazing? And I'll bet they attend church every week. Now, you recognize, obviously, don't you, what we're talking about here? We as adults like to hold God hostage. And if God doesn't give us our way, we make a scene. We just, we're not going to talk to God anymore. You treat me this way, I'm not going to pray anymore. And you better show up and do something. I want my chocolate milk, God. You better treat me the way I want to be treated or I'm not going to give you my tithe. I'm not going to go to church if you treat me that way. Do you ever do that with God? Here we have God finally speaking to Abram because Lot has parted from him. And listen to what God says. Lift up your eyes from where you are. This is chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, your offspring could be counted. Now go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Now, I want you to get the picture. Here's God saying, Abram, don't settle down in this land. You take a hike. You walk. Everywhere you go, it's yours. Look at the whole land. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. What land has God promised you if you'll simply obey his command? If you'll simply do what he's asked you to do? But you see, my heart has been lied to by the devil. And I've heard that if I do what God wants me to do, I'll lose everything. If I, if I deal with my kids the way God wants me to deal with my kids, they're going to be mad at me and not talk to me. Do you understand what I'm saying to you tonight? The ways of God don't change. God calls us out of the world out of that family of worldliness. He calls us out of that. The disciples said to him, look, we left everything to follow you. What do we get? And he said a hundred times more. In other words, you're going to have the whole family of the church. You're going to have the body of Christ. You're now going to have kids you never dreamed of having. You're going to have relationships you never dreamed of having. You're going to have resources you never thought you would be able to have because you're a part of the body of Christ. So the Lord says, come out of that. And when you come out of it, he talks to you. And what's he say? Go ahead and walk around. It's all yours. 
I'll bless you. Now that brings us to a passage of scripture in Isaiah, the 50th chapter, verse 10. Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Who is the servant of the Lord? Is it not Jesus? Jesus is the servant of the Lord. He's the suffering servant of Almighty God. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant or obeys the word of Jesus? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now, I used to think that when I walked and I didn't hear God speak, it was because I was in known sin. And I confessed all the sin I knew, and God still didn't speak. I was walking in the dark. I was obeying God. I wasn't walking in sin. I was walking in obedience to his command, and God still wasn't speaking. As I said earlier, he always does that to draw our hearts more deeply into his own. He does that to make us homesick so we'll seek him. He's calling us deeper. And so here, I want you to be clear, it's not a sin to walk in this darkness of not hearing God and not knowing what to do. That's not a sin. It says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, in other words, the person who obeys the word of the servant is going to walk in the darkness. He's going to have no light. And while he's walking in that dark place, he is to trust in the name of the Lord. And he's to rely on his God. But now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches. In other words, now all of you who as you're walking in the dark, you're trusting in the Lord, and you get tired of trusting in the Lord, you see that that crisis is coming, and you know you're not going to survive it. So you can't afford to walk in the Lord anymore. You've got to go walk in your own human wisdom. And so you go figure out a way to save yourself, to rescue yourself. And so you light your own torch, and you hold up your torch so you can see the path you're supposed to walk. But now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. And this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So there we have it. You can choose to go find your own way and light your own torch, and you're going to lay down at night and be miserable. Or you can take courage in hand by the power of the blood of Jesus. You can walk in the darkness. You can walk without seeing. You can trust and rely on the Lord God of heaven. And you lie down in peace. Abram did not arrive at that place of trusting in the Lord until he had gone through the woodshed of Egypt until he'd gone through the woodshed of the famine. And after he'd walked through the famine, after he'd walked through Egypt and been publicly shamed, he comes back and now God has to step in and do a special work of grace to finally separate him from Lot. 
There's some of you tonight who need a special act of grace from the Almighty God to separate you from the sin that so easily clutches at your heart. And if you do not receive that special grace, you're going to continue hanging on. And I want to tell you tonight, that's what the blood of Jesus is all about. That special work of grace that breaks our heart free from that lust that we're continually going after. That's what grace is. Grace is not some cheap deal that covers over and pretends sin isn't there. Grace is what opens the way and shines the light on our path after we've learned to trust in the Lord and wait upon Him and seek Him in prayer. That's what we mean by praying through the darkness. The old-timers called it praying through. They would get on their faces before God, and they'd be in the darkness. They had no victory, and they would stay in the presence of God until the victory was won by the blood, until the deliverance was given. But see, some of you tonight have been hanging on to the family of sin, and you've been saying, I've got to have that. And I'll take that until I get Jesus. And after I get Jesus, I'll let go of the sin. But it doesn't work that way. You've got to let go of the sin before you reach out and grab a hold of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying you have to get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that after you come to Jesus... For you to hear God speak and to begin to unfold before you the depth of his love and character in your life, you're going to have to let go of that sin. He wants to deal with that sin. He wants it cut off. Are you willing to let him? Will you let Jesus do that special work of grace in your life and in your heart? to cause you to no longer lust after that sin, that lifestyle, that rebellion. Will you let Jesus come and do that work? See, the Christian faith is not self-improvement. It's not self-help. It's blood help. It's Jesus.
been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh